Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host, coming to you with another throwback episode. This week, we're going to look back at an episode from the first season of the podcast featuring Dr. Brent Stevens. He's an orthopedic surgeon and was uh, completing his residency when I was a medical student at Howard. So we go way back. He's uh, doing some pretty incredible things. And we talk about his nonprofit organization he's pretty involved in, probably overdue for coming back on the show, honestly, and we can see what he's been up to most recently because he's done a bunch of stuff. I am kind of mixing in some of these throwback episodes just because of my schedule. I am currently working in the cardiothoracic ICU. It's super busy. Then I have a month of the surgical ICU since I am finishing up fellowship. So um, have some fantastic episodes coming up with some incredible uh, physicians. Also have a pretty amazing episode on medical ethics for later this month featuring Dr. Italo Brown. He sent me an article that we're going to dissect. I am throwing this episode up um, after working today in the ICU, but I did spend this weekend in lovely, lovely Hartford, Connecticut, attending rather the Student National Medical Association's annual medical education conference. There's a variety of people that listen to this show. If you are involved in graduate medical education as a faculty or program director, and you are concerned about um, recruiting diversity to your residency program, and you're not attending the SNMA conference, you're definitely missing out. It's the largest conference that is geared towards the needs of underrepresented in medicine minority students, and uh, just a fantastic place to go and meet people and meet future applicants to your program. I was there representing the University of Chicago Medical Center, a fantastic institution. Did my residency there. I'm back now during fellowship, and we sent, you know, it was probably a solid 30 people, residents, attendings. We had, I think, three folks from the ortho, four, two orthopedic surgery attendings, two ortho residents, a bunch of emergency medicine physicians and residents, um, the anesthesia and general surgery Associate program directors are there along with a bunch of their residents. Um, what else? One of the vascular surgery and uh, chairs of uh, DEI surgery department was there. So we we're just rolling deep. It was a good time. You know, obviously great to catch up with people. I saw Dr. Uh, Milam, a good friend from Mayo, anesthesiologist. And a bunch of people that I've actually interviewed on the show. So it was awesome, full circle. And then I can't um, uh, not mention the amazing students and residents that came up and introduced themselves and were like, oh, hey, I recognize your voice. And I listened to the podcast because it really um, was just incredible to get that feedback and to meet all of you in person. Thank you so much. Everybody that approached me, that shared that you learned something from the show because it is definitely what um, gives me the motivation to keep getting on here every week and putting these episodes together. Thanks for hanging out. We're going to jump into this throwback episode and then uh, stay tuned for the next couple of weeks as we or I'll have some um, new episodes and then definitely by the time I finish with a uh, res with a uh, fellowship, um, I'll get back to it and bring you some new and improved programming without further ado. Let's jump back into this interview. Um, talk with Dr. Brent Stevens, orthopedic surgeon. I'm going to remaster the audio because this is from the very first season when I still didn't know how to record or edit audio. And so I'm going to, tweak it a little bit and hopefully make the audio a little better than it was when this first launched back in 2020. 
The idea for this podcast was born from this campaign I launched back in February, hashtag Make Black History. I am continuously inspired by the excellence represented by my peers who've overcome so many incredible obstacles to reach the pinnacle of their success. This podcast forum will provide an avenue to organize these stories for others to listen to and to learn from. This podcast is our stories told by us. Welcome to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm privileged to have Dr. Brent Stevens join me today. He's an orthopedic surgeon currently practicing in Florida. Our paths actually crossed during part of his his training. I'm so glad to reconnect. Uh, Dr. Stevens, welcome to the program. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Let's uh, start off. We'll just ask a couple random questions. What are you listening to these days? Uh, it never changes for me. It's been the same since high school. It's T.I., <laughs> <laughs> Outcast. Uh, typically, that's the playlist, man. Um, you know, I'm from Atlanta, so T.I. is always always a staple. Andre is always a staple. Sometimes I'll throw in Goody Mob just to bring myself way back. Love it. What do you play in the operating room? That I can't I can't blast Jeezy in the operating room. I, I would get fired in, in about a day. So um, honestly, I, and I, I can't think to it. So Sam Smith uh, is actually one of my favorite artists. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Hamilton. So I typically have one of those two, or put it on the Anthony Hamilton station and whatever they play. You know, something that that kind of vibe in the yeah, OR. That's what's up. Yeah, I got my uh, my OR music. It's usually uh, oldies. I do uh, Motown. Everybody loves Motown. Um, so. <laughs> Like my brother, man, he loves some oldies, man. <laughs> so, Dr. Stevens, you're an orthopedic surgeon. You work in Florida. Tell me a little bit about your current practice. Um, what types of cases you do? Is it a private hospital, academic? You know, just just tell us more about that. So, um, I'm a shoulder and elbow specialist. So, you know, after orthopedic surgery residency, I subspecialize in shoulder and elbow. Just in general, I've been out for about five years. So, I've been working for a hospital for five years do a lot of shoulder replacements, uh, rotator cuff repairs. Um, it's kind of one of those newer specialties in orthopedics that a lot of people don't do. So it's a nice little, nice little niche to have uh, where I am. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it's different working for a hospital than private practice, but it's a, good, it's a good, nice little guarantee so you don't have to worry about the day-to-day um, and trying to, the grind of trying to find patients all the time. Where did you do your fellowship? So I did it in Tampa. Um, after Howard residency, he went to Tampa for a year. It's a doctor named Dr. Frankel. So he's kind of a legendary shoulder surgeon. So it's one of the top programs in the country. Um, actually, I was his first black fellow he ever had. And the fellowship's been there for 15, 20 years. So I was the first. I mean, he's a really cool dude, really cool guy. But I was literally his first black fellow. <laughs> and so I... <laughs> I remember getting there and, uh, you know, it was different. It was different, but it was great. I mean, they, they treat me like family. So did, um, did you introduce him to Jeezy in the OR? Uh, yeah, he wasn't hearing that. That's awesome. So what is a typical day like for you at work? Um, post COVID actually has been crazier, but in, in general, like this month I'm doing, I'm doing about 60 surgeries. Wow. Uh, and so I've been even crazy. So like last Friday, typical day, let's say tomorrow, typical day. 7.30 cut time, so I have to get to the hospital about 7 o'clock in the morning, see the patients, talk to the family before surgery. Uh, like tomorrow, I have four shoulder replacements. Each each one takes about two hours, Jeez. hour and a half, two hours for uh, the case. And so I'll do the case, talk to the family after the case, see the next patient, do the next case. Uh, so I have four of those tomorrow, and I'll have one room. So it's case, wait for an hour, case, mm-hmm. wait for an hour. 
and I'll be down about seven o'clock at night. But like Fridays, I have two rooms. So it's called flip rooms. So mm-hmm. I have two rooms going some, like back to back. So while I'm doing surgery in one room, the next room is getting ready. So Friday, I have eight surgeries. So I can do Oof. twice as many surgeries because while one room is going, they're getting the patient ready in the next room. So I literally go room to room to room to room to room with a break of five minutes in between. Now that it goes seven to five, but I do twice as many cases. Wow. So Fridays nice. are the money days. Yeah. Yeah, it's a money day that pays the rent there. <laughs> um, and then who do you work with? You have residents or physician assistants or? Uh, yeah, I have a, a nurse practitioner that I work with in the operating room. And so nurse practitioner, I have two scrub techs that hold, you know, hand the instruments off. Um, so each time I go to a case, it's me, the nurse practitioner, two scrub techs for every surgery. Okay. And so and, it's nice. It's a nice setup. And then when you're not in the operating room, I assume you have clinic days also. How does the clinic work and how does that feed patients into your, your OR? Yeah, so I have clinic on Monday, uh, Wednesday, and Thursday. So three days of clinic, two days of the operating room. And the clinic days are the days that feed the operating room. Like today, I see 40 patients a day in clinic. So that's 40, 20 in the morning, 20 afternoon. So it's a hustle. <laughs> and so Man. clinic starts at 8, 8.30. Every patient has a 10-minute slot. So ortho, you know, ortho, we're not known for having these long conversations. We're known for like, you have shoulder pain. I don't want right. to hear about your heart, your lungs, your leg, your head. I want to hear only about your left shoulder. Right. So it keeps things streamlined. So I can see 40 patients. You see the post-ops, you see, you know, surgery, um, people that need surgery. So it's a nice mix. It's a nice mix. And okay. price great, man. Yeah, it's good. What is your, uh, your favorite thing about what you do? Uh, you know... Everybody says, I'm sure it's pretty cliche for doctors. I make people better. But <laughs> honestly, um, seeing people really get back to their quality of life. You know, ortho, we're doers, we're builders. So when they come to me, for example, like the four that I have tomorrow, one lady literally cannot lift her arm up. Like she lifts her arm up like, like 15 degrees. She can't use it for anything. She pretty much is using one arm the past five years. Wow. Because she has bad arthritis, she's got a rotator cuff tear, so all the muscles in her shoulder are torn, and she has arthritis. So she's like 75, kind of wants to go out, wants to do stuff, but she cannot, she's losing her independence. So I know that three months from now, she's going to come back doing her own thing. I can get dressed. I don't need somebody to help. I, my kids don't have to stay with me to help me all the time, you know. So it's that level of, of, of quality of life that I see that I'm restoring. That kind of, you know, kind of gives you a sense of pride. You know, you like yeah. that, you know, that, so, awesome. you know, nothing can kind of replace that feeling when they come in and say, doc, thank you so much. You did this for me. And she's like, wow, like I, I really did that, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, it makes you feel it's self-gratifying, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Definitely sounds uh, very rewarding. Let's go back in time. When and where did you decide to become a physician and how did you come to that decision? So a little bit about my background. I played baseball in college. <laughs> no, made me cry because I thought I was gonna play professional. That didn't happen. So, oh man, uh, I hurt my knee. So what happened was my senior year of college, supposed to get drafted pretty high in baseball, I was playing um, in college. Hurt my knee. They got tore my ACL. I did rehab, and you know, like you say, God, you know, God has things planned for you. you never know. Like I always tell uh, my dad, always tells me. I started shadowing the doctor that did my surgery. He was like, hey, man, what's your plans at the college? I was like, uh, get drafted. He's like, well, you never know. How about you, you know, come shadow me? And I was, I was kind of pre-med, but I really wasn't, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, maybe. We'll see what happens. But after shadowing him for three months, you know, he would show me how to do stuff. 
it just really opened my eyes. And that's when I was like, I kind of wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. And at that point, I realized, like, funny enough, becoming a physician was actually more important than becoming a professional athlete at that point in my life. Huh. And so even when I finished college and I had, I didn't get drafted, but I had chances to play or get signed independent. I just said, no, I actually want to go to med school. I got into med school. So instead of trying to go the professional route, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm done with baseball. I'll just go to med school. So that wow. really kind of changed my life there. Yeah. And you were set up in terms of the prerequisites and the grades to matriculate straight on into medical school. Yeah, I was. I um, so I majored in I majored in business, funny enough, and um, but I minored in chemistry. So I took all the pre med classes, but I had a business degree as well, and so a little bit different route than most people. So I took all my prereqs, and then you know the only one that's different than pre med is really biochem one and two. Took those a minor in chemistry since I since I pretty much was that far along anyway, and then took business classes because they were fun. I think they were more interesting than doing science. It was kind of a different major, but it actually added a lot of diversity, or not diversity, but added a lot of uh, a uniqueness to my application. And I think that's what helped me get into med school. Um, and I know you, you mentioned this on some previous posts on your Instagram at The Surgeon Story, but you said there were some advisors and guidance counselors that weren't the most helpful when you were kind of making that decision. Man. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> so I still, I still tell so many athletes to this day, like, and then what's funny, when you tell one athlete, and I put that story out there, I literally had about seven or eight young athletes DM me and mm-hmm. tell me the same thing happened to me. So what happened was I was at, so I got a scholarship to go to Kentucky, University of Kentucky out of high school, all right? So I was a pretty big prospect coming out of high school, and I went to private school, so I had a pretty good education, good background. So my freshman year, um, you know, you meet with their advisor, academic advisor, and I'd already said, you know, maybe med school. If I don't go play baseball, maybe med school. And I, I said that. I didn't really mean it, but I still said it. And I, in my heart, you know, maybe we'll see as a backup plan. And I meet with my advisor. I remember, I will never forget this. Like, to this day, the first time I meet my advisor, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't the first time. The first time I met my advisor, but it was actually half into the year. So second semester of freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, freshman year, I had like a three, my first semester, I had like a three seven. Right. So obviously I could do the work. Right. So I meet my advisor. I said, hey, you know, I mapped this out with my dad. I'm a business major, but I'm going to minor in chemistry. That way, you know, I have my pre-med classes so I can go to business. If I want to go to business, I can do med school, you know, if I don't get drafted. But I have I want to have my options, you know, solidify multiple options. So I, I have a backup plan. I can do different things. I, the, 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 the pre-med advisor, <laughs> without even knowing me at all, and seeing that I had a three seven my, or three six three seven my first half of freshman year, I was like, you know, you know, it's too hard as an athlete. You're doing too wow. much. You know, I just think that maybe you should. And this is this is what they I've seen it happen to so many young athletes. You know, maybe you should start off undecided, right? And then take all these PE intro to you know basket <laughs> weaving, right? You know, all these intro level courses. But what what they don't what they what students don't realize is if you start off like that, so your first semester you're taking BS classes or your first year, you're already a whole year behind any pre-med, any engineering, any of those higher, the things that take a lot of discipline to get through in four or five years, you're right. a year behind. So by the time you figure out you want to do it, let's say second year, you're like, I got to be in college for six years now to get right. caught up. And so then I've seen so many kids get kind of pushed away from things like medicine, pushed away from things like engineering. And kind of 
persuaded to go on other fields because now you're general studies for two years. And then when you declare a major, you can only declare a couple of majors and get done in four years. Right. So I've seen them do that so many people. And you know, keep in mind, when you're an athlete, you only have four years of eligibility. After four years, you got to pay for your own education. Yeah. So what do you have? You go into, you know, I'm not knocking any major, right? Every major is a good major. Any college degree is worthwhile. But sometimes you may have said, you know, I want to be engineering. But you can't, you have to start off engineering. I want to be pre-med. Right. You have to start off pre-med or you'll never catch up or you'll end up five, six years. And, and then, you know, kind of, man, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too hard to work. And so, yeah, so she said, you can't, you know, you should try to do this intro. She planned my whole schedule out. So I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm pre-med. You know, we went back and forth for about five or 10 minutes. I was like, look, I'm done with you. So I just left. I walked out the office like, don't ever wow. talk to me. And luckily, my, my dad is a judge. So he has a lot of friends that are physicians. And, you know, he called some of his physicians and, you know, they're kind of like, hey, man, look, don't worry about that. You can be business and pre-med. So one of my friends, our dad's friends, um, who was, did a business degree in pre-med kind of, he was my mentor after that, telling me what classes to take. Right. So, so that's why to this day I'm big into mentoring because so many kids who don't even realize they're getting knocked off the path before they start walking. It happens so often, especially to our kids. Yeah, that, that is uh that's huge, man. There's gatekeepers out there and you yeah. had your head, head screwed on straight, but so many other people that aren't as strong academically, man, they come in there and hit that mm -hmm. roadblock. There's no way that they're going to, you know, progress. Absolutely, man. It's bad. I mean, I'll tell you real quick, this real quick story of a kid. He really broke my heart. He's at Emory, Emory University. So, you know, now we'll probably get into it, but I have a nonprofit, right? But he, we met him at Emory. We were doing like a little symposium. This kid was a fourth year in, in college. And we we're talking about going to med school. He's like, yeah, I was pre-med. I wanted to be pre-med, but it was too late. And they said my GPA wasn't good enough and I should try to find something different to do. So, Instead of being pre-med, pre-med, he changed to man something else. It was it was outside the sciences, and I forgot what it was. It wasn't it was a, you know a, kind of a different major. Mm -hmm. He was a senior, but he really like had a passion for medicine. But he's like, yeah, I just couldn't I couldn't cut it. And we were like, well, what happened? He's like, well, my GPA was too low, and they said like you know third year I probably wouldn't get into med school, so I should probably change to something different. Um, you know, so I don't so I don't have to go back. We're like, what was your GPA? Well, I only had a three point five. I said what? <laughs> oh my God. at emory he said yeah i had a three five and they told my advisor told me that you know I, I, it's i'm just behind i probably won't get in so i should probably pick a different major or not uh, wow. check some other classes and go a different route he literally changed everything and by the time he's a fourth year so we're trying to convince him to go get a post back to get to med school and he's like well no i'm already this long i'm gonna graduate next year so i'm just gonna finish i'm like you had a three five Jeez. at emory <laughs> but <laughs> And he didn't, but he had nobody else to tell him that that's crazy. And wow. so many, I've seen that so often, like, like that. And even kids who have a, a 3-0, like, and right. <laughs> it's not the end of the road. You know, so often you see that. I'm sure you've seen that too. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just so unfortunate that it happens um, far too often. Yeah. That, that, I mean, just the fact that you've shared that experience and those stories, I really think it can help so many people hopefully avoid that, that trap. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah. of discrimination, right? It's not new to either of us. You know, you had those mm -hmm. those experiences in college. You know, as you progress through medical school and residency and fellowship, and even your current practice, any stories stick out in your mind of discrimination or or events you had at that you had to overcome? 
So, so off the bat, I went to Howard for med school and Howard for residency. So that's a blessing mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was shielded from a lot of stuff. You know, at Howard, you forget there's white doctors. <laughs> oh, look, they got a white doctor over there. Facts. So, so <laughs> I mean, you really do. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So, you know, we're shielded from a lot of the things that go on. Um, and a lot of my, my colleagues that, that are black that went to a um, majority of other institutions that they had to go through. But I will say my, my first uh, kind of eye-opening experience and I don't, you know, honestly, I, you know, I, I was a, for a lot of the classes in college and, you know, I went to a Catholic school. So not really, I didn't grow up, you know, I wasn't a black, I grew up in a black, in a black neighborhood in Decatur, but a lot of the high school and college, I was a lot, I was kind of the only black person in a lot of my classes. So you kind of recognize who is who, right? You can kind of pick off like this guy is kind of that guy. You can, you can, when you're around that, when you're around a lot of people, you know, you can kind of decipher which kind of person you're with. But right. I remember when I left Howard, because you're going to Howard, you're in a bubble. So I was in a right. bubble for like 10 years, and I kind of forgot what it was like sometimes. So I went to fellowship. Like I said, I was the first black fellow. And at, at Tampa General, there's not a lot of black doctors. Um, and so I remember, <laughs> I remember, and I, didn't even, I, I took it with, <laughs> with you know, the greatest thought, but I went to a patient's room. I have a white coat on, long white coat. I finished med school. I finished residency. I'm, I'm really an attending, but I'm just taking a year for fellowship. And I walk into a patient's room to see them for a consult. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I walk in his room, like, "Hey, oh, you're? Are you? Tra- or no? He's like, oh, you're the um, the the how are they called? The uh, environmental uh, nurse services. Assistant. You're, oh, no, so, yeah, no, 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 no you're, you're a nursing assistant or nursing nursing aide. He's a nursing aide. Mind you, I have a full white coat on, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> okay. So he's like, "Oh, can you just get my cup of coffee and bring it back for me real quick?" I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, so I took his, got his cup, got some coffee for him, right. brought it back, put it back down. I said, okay, I'm Dr. Stevens. Now you can have your coffee. I'm here to see your shoulder. He's got, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's in, in fellowship that happened. Now in practice, I practice in, uh, <laughs> I practice in Cocoa Beach, Florida. So to put that in context, Mm-hmm. When uh, the rallies from uh, from President Trump happened, they're across the street from my house. Oh. Right, we're not talking like down the street, like across the street. And so, I've taken care of multiple patients with 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 swastikas on the chest. Um, I had one patient that I took care of that came into clinic. I'll never forget this. I was, I was and that was very uncomfortable for him. I went to give him an injection in his shoulder. He took his shirt off. You know, give an injection in his shoulder. And on the back of his arms, and his wife is looking at me like stone-faced because I have to go behind him to give him an injection to his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He's got, like, white on one arm, power on the other arm, oh. the entire length of his triceps. I mean, in big block letters. And I walk by and I'm like, what? Power. <laughs> what? And she's looking dead at me, right? And you see his head kind of drop, right? You know, he don't, you know, he doesn't want Right, right. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm, so I'm like, oh, that's an interesting tattoo. If you... You want me to take care of your tattoo as well? He's, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, oh, I yeah. apologize. I was young. I was young, you know. So, you know, honestly, I, <laughs> I've had, a, I've taken care of a lot of people. like, that. And, and it's weird because they're the not, they've been so nice to me. <laughs> Some of them, like, they're like, I'm referring my friends to see you. You're like, I'm right. good. You don't need to. <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay. It's a lot of that stuff, you know, but I try to work through it. We're all, we all encounter it as physicians, as black physicians. Many times we're the only one in the room a lot of times. So we, we, you know, a lot of subtle, most times it's the subtle jabs, right? It's the right. subtle. And catch subtle you off, catch no, you off guard. Nobody, yeah. 
nobody really comes at us directly like that anymore. It's going to be the subtle, you know, oh, you went here. Oh, you went to Howard. Oh, that's a black school, right? Oh, you know, good, you know, kind of trying to diminish your qualities, trying to diminish right. what you do. Um, you know, little, little jabs or, you know, they try to, of course, always the affirmative action is a hot topic. Oh, did, did you go to here because of that? So you deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Some people, I think some people have, um, prejudices and biases they don't even realize sometimes like and i think after getting that guy a cup of coffee i don't think he even realized he didn't mean it right he didn't mean mm -hmm. to be now some people mean it right you gotta right. put those people right. in their place like those people you check yep. quick yeah check them you need to let look you you now crossed this line so i'm gonna check you and put you back in their place and yep. for some people you don't have to check everybody and i think sometimes if we try to check everybody it gets into that angry angry mentality where you're looking to check people mm -hmm. whereas if you're looking to if you assume that they didn't mean it that way and then you work from that point of perspective, I think a lot of times it saves you a lot of frustration because you're going to have people that are going to make you angry, but you control your own emotions. You control how you react to situations a lot of times. Absolutely. And I think um, that's how I think when you're the minority in the majority situation, how you have to handle it to be successful and still keep your pride about yourself. Absolutely. That's huge. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about an orthopedic surgeon's favorite topic. Get your mind racing, probably. Uh, yeah. Money. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep it PC. We'll just say it's money. What's that? Uh, we broke. We broke. I'm just, I'm about, just, <laughs> just messing with you. But uh, in terms of, um, you, you know, talking to you previously, things that you wish you'd known more about earlier on, money management. Um, I know you've got a couple businesses, a couple projects you're working on. And yeah. and anything that you would like to share with students that are coming up or things that you found that have helped you manage your finances? Yeah. So as we all know, med school and money uh, are like two topics that don't mix. Right. They don't tell you anything about money in med school. Right. So you get out, you go from making, I think, residents with $50,000 to, you know, the low end of a physician is probably 200, 175, 200. And the high end, who I mean, a couple mm. million. So, mm. and anywhere in between. So, no matter what, as a physician, somebody said to me, no matter what physician you pick or what kind of specialty you pick, you're still going to be in the probably top 10% of the country. Right. So, you need to understand how to manage money. We don't learn that. And so, I, I would say the first thing I learned uh, <laughs> when I got out was my credit score was bad. So, that's oh. the first thing to manage because <laughs> I couldn't buy a house, right? Oh, I, no. You know, and it wasn't because it's funny because it's not like I, I took a bunch of credit cards out. I just forgot to put my loan in forbearance. Um, hmm. And so just that, and I was, I forgot like two years in a row, but I forgot for uh, I think like three months and I was so busy and I forgot, but just that every 30 days I got dinged every 30 days I got dinged. Wow. And so by the time I got out of residency, I didn't, I only had one credit card, which is paid off. But because I had so many forbearances and I didn't have a lot of credit history, my credit score, I mean, it was, I don't know, six something. I mean, low sixes. Mm. And, you Yikes. know, I went to buy a house and I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's, that's what they say when I went to buy a house. <laughs> so, so I was like, look, I make this much on paper and they're like, they don't care what you make on paper. They want to see you have a good, better credit score and that you are a reliable uh, person to credit. Wow. And so, you know, that's the first thing I would say to students is make sure that you guard your credit score. And if you're not paying your loans, put them in forbearance on time. 
Um, that's the first thing I would say. Uh, the second thing I would say is um, what I learned is reading a lot of these reading a lot of these books is in residency you don't make a lot of money, but you make enough to be comfortable, and you make enough to honestly, if you could, um, save a little emergency fund. Um, and if you can, I was just telling my my mentee that have a plan when you start residency, right? Because you're you're going to be there for at least three to five years. So mm-hmm. one thing I wish I had done, and again, buying a house is not the best thing all the time. Understand that. But if you're going to be in residency for, let's say, five years, like orthopedic residency, or if you know you're going to be in that place, if you know you're going to be in that town, probably following residency, it may be a good idea to look at saving enough money your first year or two to buy a small uh, uh, how I, I personally prefer houses over, over condos, but a house or condo depending on you where, where you live mm-hmm. so that you're not just paying rent to somebody. Right. And so you have some level of wealth accumulating while you're going to residency and while you're training. Um, because many times when you get out of residency, you can now use that to rent when you go to fellowship. Right. Um, or if you're there for five years, you've built three years of credit. You've built three years of equity uh, mm-hmm. into your home and you can use that um, as you go on. So it's a good place to start. Um, and the third thing I'll say is when you get out of residency, one thing I did was when I finished residency and I read, there's a book called white coat investor. I read it twice when I got out, probably one of the best books for beginning your training or your, your attending life is I lived like I was a rich resident, right? So in residency, you made $50,000, right? And so what I did was I, Paid myself a salary of, I think I said $80,000, which if you've been living on $50,000, I didn't have a family either. So it depends, right? But I was a right. single guy uh, coming out. So I said, look, I make X amount of dollars. I'm going to pay myself a salary of $80,000 with a $10,000 to $20,000 raise every year until I pay my loans off. Hmm. So everything I did was at salary, which was enough to live off of, enough to travel on, enough to have fun on. I wasn't penny pension, but I wasn't wasting money either. Right. Um, and once I paid off my loans, I paid off my student loans in about two and a half years. Wow. Right. So I'll just pay chunks. Everything was going towards everything. Going, so I paid and I had a lot of loans. I mean, I had <laughs> so a couple hundred thousand dollars in loans. So I paid off those loans in two and a half years. And at that point, all the money I was going towards loans, I could shift. And then I bought a house. Right. I worked in my credit for two and a half years. Then I went to buying a house. Right. Yeah. And then after buying a house, now I had. You know, I had money saved up to buy a house. Then I bought a car. So everything, and then I had my Honda for two and a half years and I bought a nice car. So everything was, it's, it's, it's easy when you get out. Like I, I mean, we, <laughs> I got a couple friends that got a couple Porsches when they got out, got yeah. a, you know, but, but it, it stunts your growth financially. If you do that, when you come out, and it's very easy to do. It's very easy to spend this money because you've never had it. Right. So you have to have a plan when you come out. And uh, so I would say those three things, you know. Those three things are things that I'll pay. Make sure you put your stuff in forbearance or or pay the interest, by the way, on your loans. That's another way to keep it where it is without without escalating dramatically. So either pay the interest or put it in forbearance on time. Um, uh, when you get out, pay yourself a salary um, that's, that's a reasonable salary and then put the rest towards paying down your debt aggressively so, so that you can be financially free a lot earlier. And uh, the third thing is, if you're going to be in residence for a long time, consider getting a home or something small mm-hmm. and you can use a doctor's only loan. So you don't have to pay 5% down with no PMI, which is, you know, mortgage insurance. So those things that I would, I would do or change uh, if I was coming out. 
great pieces of advice that, that folks can incorporate. I want to wrap up, man, by talking about this program. You mentioned mentorship and the importance of reaching back, giving back, and guiding that next generation. Um, one of the things that I respect and admire the most about you is how committed you are to that concept. I remember a couple years ago, you had some posts about this Young Docs DC program. I think I was even still mm -hmm. at Howard for part of it. And yeah. last year, I even got to go to the the fundraiser or the graduation ceremony mm -hmm. and saw that. But could you, you know, take your time, just tell us about this program, um, what it means and, and how it works and how people can even get involved. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that because that, that program is my heart. You know, that, that's that's my baby and our, our baby, really, because uh, three of us created it. So I'll just tell you real quick how it started. So how it started was uh, Dr. Malcolm Woodman, who's um, PhD, um, was funny enough, was one of our patients in residency. And he's like, hey, I'm trying to start a program to mentor kids. Don't really have the structure yet, but I have the idea. And we kind of lost lost touch. And about a year later, I hit him up like, hey, man, what, what's going on with this program? And he's like, hey, actually, funny enough, I got a grant. I got a grant to start a program. And so him, myself, and uh, uh, Dr. Torley Easterling, and we're all kind of blossomed our careers since then. But we're, we were all in D.C. at that point in time, fresh, you know, kind of finishing uh, Torrance Primary Care. And he's now the, the chief of health of Brooklyn. Like, he's a big time in Brooklyn, uh, oh, wow. big guy in Brooklyn now. Malcolm's the chief uh, clinical psychologist or psychiatrist at the D.C. Uh, uh, jail. So he's like a big time person now. But at that point in time, almost 10 years ago or eight years ago, we were all just kind of beginning our careers. And so the idea was, let's create a program that we take, we go into Southeast DC or some of the hardest hit places in DC, mm -hmm. and let's go to the high school and let's pull up, or let's pull ninth grade males. And we kept it in males because um, they're the most, they're the hardest hit by what's going on. They're the, yeah. the quickest declining numbers in medical school. Uh, if you don't know, there's fewer med students, students applying to med school now than in, I think it was like 1976. So the numbers are declining horribly yeah. for black males. Yeah. And applications too. Oh, wow. So, so the pool is shrinking and, and the, and the, and the admissions are shrinking. We said, look, let's go and expose them to something different. So our first thing we went to, we went to Anacostia high school, which is one of the, one of the, um, uh, most underperforming high schools in DC. We went to uh, Baloo. We went to a couple high schools in DC, and we sat there with a stethoscope. Well, I remember we had a stethoscope, a table, on <laughs> high school first day of orientation for ninth ninth grade kids. Right, they come in like, "What are you all about?" We got a white coat on. They're walking by, and that's how we recruited our first group of students. Just literally hanging out in the high school during while they're letting out of class. Wow. And the guidance counselors would push kids our way. And so what happened was we want to take these kids. So we got six ninth grade, ninth grade males. And the idea was let's take them out of this environment, put them in something different, expose them to something different, and then push them towards either medicine or whatever. It doesn't matter, but let's see, give them a different uh, vision of where they're headed. And so we, what we did was we got funding. Um, and the idea is we took them. During on Saturdays, we paid them to come to Howard University's campus on Saturday, and we would tutor them every Saturday on either a topic in medicine, like how the heart works, or a social issue, like you know gun control or gun rights, or you know what to do when you're stopped by the police. But we would spend every Saturday with them. Wow! And then when they came to Howard's campus, we would pay them. We pay them twenty dollars and just a little bit, like an allowance, right? Just hey, here's a little money. 
to help because there's you know as kids allowance really makes a difference in high school twenty dollars in high school makes a makes a big difference oh yeah and that adds up so we pay them a little bit of money and they come in and, and it was a great program the kids come in and we, and we, we still and, and we're, we're really blossoming now but the kids will come in our first group and uh, we sit down with them every saturday and mentor them tutor them and then the summertime, we would take them out and put them on Howard's campus, like a summer program, and we'd pay for them to stay in the dorms all summer long. And they'd stay in the dorms all summer, um, and we'd have them do med-style classes. We'd take them down to the school and have um, a med student come teach them how the heart works, how physiology of the lungs, physiology of the heart. We'd take them to the cadaver lab. This is how the heart actually looks. And then during the next summer, we'd take them, or next year, we'd take them out of the community and have them do uh, health programs. So they do diabetes or glucose checks. They do blood pressure checks in the community in Southeast DC. And these kids got so known out there. Oh yeah. Y'all the young doctors. Okay. We know y'all. So they like the community could recognize them Wow. and really rally behind these kids. And so from there, our program kind of grew to other parts of pulling kids from other schools in DC. So now it's been amazing because we've been around for, for eight years, seven years now, seven, eight years. And uh, the students um, are all doing great. Our, our our most recent group of students just did our their college signing day. All of them are going to college. All wow. our, all our past two or three years, every student has gone to college, and that's because what we incorporated after two years is we now take them to college college um to college tours. We drove them from D.C. to Louisiana in a bus. Oh. Imagine twelve <laughs> high school kids. In a bus from D.C. to New Orleans. We drove oh. from D.C. to Atlanta. Oh, boys. You know? they, they, were oh, must, boys. they were probably must, musty as I don't know what. Man, musty, <laughs> yelling, screaming. They're eating food, leaving food everywhere. Man, it was so... I mean, we, take them, we took them from D.C. to, to Virginia. And we, we take them there. We took them D.C. to New York. And so we take them there so they can see what college campus is like. We bring them back and we do the applications with them through the year. So wow. when you hit senior year, day one applications due, it's already done. And, and, and the mindset becomes, I don't know if I'm going to college or maybe I'll go to college. To, of course I'm going to college. Why would I, what? And so college becomes a natural next step. And that is what I think I have loved so much about what our program has done. And because um, these kids are already amazing, right? They're already, they're already, they're already great kids. But sometimes if you don't see college as a guaranteed future, it's easy to get sidetracked, right? If you don't see medicine as your goal, then it's easy to say, well, I'll just do something else. And so right. these kids are, are rock stars. I mean, they're all going to, I mean, they're all got scholarships. Well, three of them got scholarships. They got into multiple schools. I mean, we had signing day and they're all hype about college and it just builds that, 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 that desire to do like, oh yeah, high school. Yeah. High school's cool. But I'm going to college. Like high school is cool, but there's a next step. There's a natural next step, and that's kind of where they're headed. Um, and so this program has really done it for the kids. And we transition. We're, we're virtual because of COVID, but we're right back at it. We're still like we kick off our program. Yes, actually today is the first day. We had wow. we're doing um, uh, classes online now. The kids have to log in online all summer long, and they take classes. Um, with people teaching them, you know? So we have doctors, like I'm taking them to the operating room virtually and doing a sur surgery virtually with the kids. So that's the kind of thing that Young Doctors is doing at youngdoctorsdc.com. <laughs> and, you know, really would love anybody that wants to get involved, www.youngdoctorsdc.org.
And again, volunteer, donate, donate is always helpful because we, and 100% of the funds goes towards the kids. We don't get a salary. We don't do it because we want money. We pay our money to help. And so for us, it's because we care about kids. It's because we care about their future. And, you know, like you helped us out big time, you know, we really appreciate your help as well. And, and, and coming to the, coming to the, um, the white coat ceremony, it's my heart, man. It means everything. And there's no way people can like donate online, right? They, they can't do that. <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> so yeah, if you go to the website, we have it all linked up. Just, you know, please come on and donate any amount of help. $50 is a Saturday is a pay for a Saturday Academy for three kids. Wow. Right. Or, or two kids and a half. Awesome. Dr. Stevens, thank you so much for joining us. I know you had a super busy day of clinic today. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they reach you at? Yeah, you can reach me at the Surgeon Story on Instagram. I'm only on Instagram, by the way. I'm not. On, I can't. I don't have time to get on everything anymore. Uh, but on Instagram, the Surgeon Story. So if you send me a, a DM, I always respond to those. Typically, that's the best way to reach me. Actually. Awesome. Well, thanks again for for coming and joining us. I know our listeners are going to enjoy hearing this episode and, and learning from you. No, thank you for having me. It's been great, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. If you like what you heard, please uh, share, leave a message or a comment as well. Tune in next week to hear more of our stories told by us on the Black Doctors Podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters.